Hello. Ken Wilbur. Steve, how are you, my friend? I'm very well. Good to talk to you. Oh, it's good to hear your voice again. Yes, sir. I hope you're well. I am. I am indeed. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing great. I'm in the middle of uh, a rather interesting project, which has nothing to do with what I really do. I'm, I'm tearing down an old house. Ah, and it's the one outside of Atlanta? Well, it's an old farmhouse. It's about 95 years old, and it's on a small piece of property that my wife Melissa and I just bought from these right. two elderly sisters. Right. So I'm sort of practicing, um, well, you know, integral demolition here, I think. Right. I, I'm, I'm tearing down a house while listening to, uh, you know, the integral naked library on my iPod. <laughs> so, you know, it's a new core module for ILP. Is it? Right. <laughs> Integral house demolition. So what are you going to do with it all? Well, you know, that's a good question. It's really interesting doing something like this. That We got to know these two elderly sisters who were in their 90s. One just passed away within the last couple of months. Right. And uh, they grew up there. They lived their whole lives there. Their parents were there. And, and you know, as I'm, it's really interesting pulling these nails out one by one. I'm trying to save some of this wood because they milled all the lumber right there on the property. You know, with like this this tractor driven mill, and it's just trees. You know, it's it's, it's amazing stuff. And I, and I, and I'm pulling these nails out one by one as they were put in, and kind of imagining the hands that put them in the first time. You know. Oh, I bet. Pretty amazing. I bet. <laughs> I bet. But still, are you going to put something in its place, or is it just it needs to come down? And it, it sort of needs to come down. Nobody's living there, and it's empty, and that just means it's going to fall apart even more. And it's kind of falling apart a bit anyway. Right. Uh, right. You know, we, I don't. They didn't really have technology at that point, I guess, to build houses that were going to last much past a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I've discovered that uh, this hard labor is, you know, highly underrated spiritual practice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> sort, of like, sort of like hauling water and chopping wood, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's very zen. Yeah, um, it is, actually. <laughs> so there's a whole kind of course that led to your present-day integral orientation and awareness. And for those who don't know, you are a master puppeteer and have been really since high school, which we'll talk about. Sure. And are presently the voice of such well-known characters as Kermit the Frog and Ernie right. and numerous others, and sort of your whole path to this present moment. And, and puppeteering is really an interesting phenomena itself, because if you look at the great traditions, they're always using metaphors for the prime creator, the ultimate source, mm-hmm. um, the creatrix. And one of them is always play, one of them is artist, and one of them is, in a sense, a puppeteer. That God is the single puppeteer behind all of our personas, all of our masks, all of our facades. Uh And so actually adopting another role is a miniature version of the creation process itself. And so it kind of, it lends itself to certainly taking the role of other, taking other perspectives, inhabiting another being and actually coming from that perspective and like i said that's an interest that you had since high school you you used to make puppets of your own well that's exactly right and i and my real interest in this i mean you know from just what i what was going on in my life at that time was seeing jim henson and his work on television was inspirational right Right. but but i think from a broader sense it was that there was i i could tell that these guys who were underneath there were were having a really good time yeah 
Right. You know, and 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 I and I thought I I want some of that. You know, that yeah. the, the camaraderie of the group and the fun kind of dynamic that they must be having doing this work. And you know, I, I wasn't aware of any of the sort of more deeper meanings or symbols sure. of puppetry. But I am aware of that. You know, at, at this at this point, and and particularly the way we do it with the Muppets, because when we're working, we're we're always sort of watching what we do on a video monitor, right? And we're very removed from the character. If I'm doing Kermit particularly in a, in a live situation, which is the most fun, by the way, for me, is doing these ad-lib interviews and yeah. things. Yeah. You know, I, I'm watching what I'm doing, and, I mean, I'm very clear that he's a puppet, I, you know, but, but there's a separate self coming through there. There is this role coming through, right? and I'm witnessing it at the same time. I, I said I sort of get to see him from I, we, and it all at the same time. You know? Right. That's very interesting to me to realize that, and, and I also get to play this role of a hero, of an amazing character, of this amazing presence in the world. Right. And so I get to practice that and, and hopefully bring some of it back You know, when I come home. <laughs> well, that's what's so amazing because particularly the ad-lib part of uh-huh. Kermit, the others as well, but particularly the ad-lib part of Kermit because Kermit is a well-known world philosopher. Kermit has become a household term, and his response to situations has really at one point became kind of part of the national character. Mm. And so he really is kind of, there's a whole worldview of Kermit. Uh-huh. And to be able to inhabit that, it really it takes a brilliant mentality, to be frank. And I think one of the reasons that you know that you were selected to do these roles, that you've lasted in them and done such a good job for such a long time, is a real talent, a really extraordinary talent for inhabiting those three perspectives and then responding from the perspective of this other individual in a way that's very smart and very bright and very funny. Well, you know, I, I figured out something early on. I, I, by the way, the, the background on that is that I had been an obsessive fanatic Muppet person for all these years. If the internet had been around when I was a kid, I would have been one of those internet people right. who was just going to every site and learning everything about the Muppets. And I was I was doing that as best I could at the time. And um, you were called Kermit as a nickname in high school. <laughs> Actually, I was because uh, when I was about ten years old and, and became completely overtaken by this Muppet obsession, I started trying to build these characters. And I actually wrote a letter to Jim Henson at that point, and uh, he responded. And he responded, which was is pretty impressive. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, he, he wrote this letter back to me as a 10-year-old kid. It, it made a huge impression. And I was I was just writing to say, I'm a fan. Have you written any books on how to make puppets? Because I kind of like to do this. He wrote back and said, no, but I really encourage you to keep trying. Yeah, wow. And by the way, we published some um, simple Muppet patterns in a magazine a few years ago. Why don't you try getting those? Right. And I wrote, got this thing, started making puppets. And then I – well, actually, my mom started making them for me. I didn't know how to sew. She started sewing all these puppets, and she'd finish one, and I'd say, okay, now, the next one I'd like you to make is this. <laughs> it, it became her full-time unpaid job, and she said, you know, I think I have to teach you how to run a sewing machine. <laughs> right. uh, uh, well, so, I mean, Jim Henson also, there are many ways we could go with this, but Jim Henson sure. is obviously a big influence in your life and a big influence in the life of the national character of, of the United States, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And if we want to sort of – there are many different ways to sort of – analyze the really positive contributions of Henson. Mm-hmm. But one of them is just to look at developmental altitude. Mm. And what the whole, if you look at Sesame Street, and you look at the Muppets, and you look at Fraggle Rock, what all of these were doing, particularly if you look at things like Fraggle Rock, mm-hmm. is really expressing both a green pluralism, yeah. a capacity to take the role of other, to look at other cultures, to do so without judgment, 
there's always a non-judgmental atmosphere around this. It's a really healthy green. Mm-hmm. And then also there's always an indication of second tier or integral or integrative or holistic thinking because once these different perspectives are taken, then there's an encouragement to rest in that space, which is a, a space that acknowledges both my present perspective mm-hmm. and the perspective of another. And holding both of those is a preliminary integral move. So, yeah. and, and we've talked about this a little bit before. I mean, Kermit uh-huh. the Frog really is green in many ways. Right. It really was right. pluralistic. Yeah. But there's always that opening then for an integration of the pluralistic parts that have been presented. Mm-hmm. And I think that was from what I've read and heard and what you said about Jim Henson's life. He really was a leading edge integral. He really was working with pluralistic stuff, but also really pulling it together. And he exemplified that in his life. And he was just a really extraordinary human being. Well, he he certainly was, and uh, you know, a lot of that was easy for him to do in that he was a very humble person. He was he was very, very quiet, very gentle. You know, Kermit was a more outgoing version of the best part of Jim, but but very yeah. very laid back and and very much a an analyzer of situations and and an organizer of people. He was such an incredible leader in that he organized people well. He would meet someone somewhere at a at a puppetry festival, you know, where all the young puppeteers go, or, or in any walk of life, and right. somehow he would file that away, and he would, you know, three years later he'd say, you know, what was that guy's name? He was the one that did this song that I liked, or, yeah. you know, he, he'd be driving to work in the morning and he'd be playing music on his on his car radio, and he'd start visualizing how the Muppets could perform that number, you know. Right. So much of his work came out of stuff like that, and he drew people to him that he sort of intuitively felt could expand that vision and it was it's just a, it was a remarkable group of people you know hundreds and hundreds of people worked with Jim over the years but it really came down to a a couple of core groups of people that were the right. in terms of the performers right I, I was lucky enough to come in at the tail end of that kind of really 13 14 years before he died right yeah you came in around 1978 uh-huh. And the Muppet Show, right? And one of the first characters you developed was Rizzo the Rat. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> you, could, you could call it development. Uh, sometimes these characters develop us, I think, too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I think anybody that also writes novels or mm-hmm. does any sort of writing like that, they start to realize how much the characters write themselves. Yeah. They start to take on a life of their own, and we actually end up learning from them sometimes. Sure. And well, and particularly in our work, too, on The Muppet Show and Fraggle Rock and, and other areas, particularly on The Muppet Show because we were churning out a show per week. Right. And uh, that's a great forum kind of for coming up with new characters. You know, we, we would write an incidental character in, and, and the writers would be on the floor, and they would see this. And, uh, you know, they'd say, oh, that, that was funny, and the next week this guy would have a major role, you know. Right. And that's sort of the way it happened with Rizzo. I just found this old trunk full of falling apart rat puppets that had been used for an earlier television special, you know. And, and they hadn't been used in years. They were tucked right. away in a box, kind of moth-eaten. Yeah. And Jim, when we would do the, if you remember the backstage scenes on the Muppet Show, exactly. the area where you know Kermit's back there and he's trying to organize the show, and, and that's where the main theme often develops is the backstage yeah. story. That's right. That was the core and the hub of it all. Very much psychodrama with the Muppets too, with, our, right. with us, because that was Jim doing Kermit and all these crazy people running through, you know, right. which is who we were. And so right. I just stuck Rizzo in the back of the scene. Jim would say to, to especially the new puppeteers, he'd say, grab a puppet, populate the scene, do whatever you want. I don't care what you do. Just have fun and upstage us if you can. Wow. You know, he encouraged that. And that was our learning time. That was our, our little fun. And so Rizzo was a character who stuck his head next to Kermit one day. And after the scene was over, Jim laughed and said, I'm going to make that rat a star. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, 
so we named him. Frank Oz helped us come up with the name, and uh, based on you know obviously the Midnight Cowboy character, right? Dustin Hoffman, and uh, right. But you know, um, the, interesting, the interesting part of development on a character like that is that I didn't I didn't really have in me what Rizzo became. We had these performers there who were incredible. Who this New York street rat it was not a thing that a guy from Georgia knew anything about. So it right. took me probably six years for Rizzo to get tough enough. You know. <laughs> right. And so just a, um, a character development of Rizzo growing into its own its own potential. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And talk about, I mean, Jim Henson's leadership style and what he managed to set in motion. Also, for people that don't know, The Muppet Show and Sesame Street are two of, by far, the most successful television shows of any variety ever, ever put on. Sesame Street has run for over 4,100 episodes, over 37 seasons. It's won 101 Emmys, by far more than any other single show. The Muppet Show itself, although it only ran for five years, by the second, third year, it becomes so popular, including internationally popular. Mm-hmm. The Time Magazine said it was, quote, the most popular TV entertainment on Earth. <laughs> and these things really, the characters in The Muppet Show, including, of course, Kermit and Miss Piggy, Gonzo, Beaker, Fozzie Bear, Rizzo the Rat. I mean, these became, particularly Kermit and Miss Piggy, became national stars. And, they really did it, and rather quickly. Uh, yeah. During that time, yeah. And that must have been a, a very heady time. I mean, because you came in, and it says right in the middle of that, right when it was taking off. You came in for mm-hmm. the third season. You came in. The Muppet Show started in 1976, mm-hmm. and you came in 1978. So you're just right at the heady, explosive part of that. That must have been really extraordinary. Well, it was, and it was a great time to join. As you say, the Muppets were really at the height of their popularity. You know, Jim, Jim actually started the Muppets back in the mid-50s when he was just graduating college. Right. And, and was just they were basically an act on variety shows like Ed Sullivan and, and The Tonight Show and things like that up yeah. on Sesame Street. Yeah. And then Sesame led into the Muppet Show, and it was actually a little difficult for Jim to get the Muppet Show on the air because at that time there were you know three networks and PBS. Right. He had done Sesame, and, and the networks here in the United States said, well, we really think your stuff is great, but we think it's for kids. It's not for prime time. Right. And it was very frustrating for him. So he actually did the show. We did that show in London uh, in conjunction with Lou Grade, this, this right. producer who syndicated it back here. Yeah. So at the point in time when The Muppet Show happened, Jim was exploding with creativity. He had so much that he wanted to do on a more adult humor level. Right. There was just so much he wanted to do. It was all just pouring out. Now, that started to show up in an in a extraordinary number of creative directions, one of which, for example, was uh, Dark Crystal, mm-hmm. which we can talk about in a moment. But sure, um, sure. you were a central character in that, and it was a very pioneering show in terms of the actual techniques of animation and use of pixels and so on. It was very, very far-reaching. And I mean, that's just one example of what you're talking about, of, of Jim's creativity sort of exploding in so many different directions. Yeah. Well, he, he got more and more into the realm of, um, you know, I mean, the Muppets were more the abstract cartoon sort of, for lack of a better word, characters. And then suddenly right. we were doing these living, breathing things, you know, like the Dark Crystal characters um, right. beyond the Muppet show. And actually, that stuff was semi-successful, but less successful than the Muppets. But still, it was just a creative urge that had to be explored. It's become increasingly popular. It's sort of one of those classic, quote, cult and, quote, yep. underground, and it's just really increasingly taken on a lot of popularity and a lot of influence. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has. It, it has certainly has, more so now than at the time when it actually came and premiered. You know, right.